Hello, how are you guys doing this morning? You excited to be here in the house of the Lord today? Well, we are excited. We'd love to welcome you. We are starting our brand new series, A Journey Through James. Anybody excited for that series? I know that I am. It's going to be an amazing time. What an amazing week we had last week at Easter, just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that we have in Him. I know I had a blast. Any of you guys in a sugar coma from all the candy that you had? Um, I know at the kids' carnival, they were really hooking us up and generous with that candy. Uh, but I'm really excited for this new series. Some of you have known about this, you've been getting excited, and some of you, it might be the first that you've heard about it. But at the beginning of the year, um, as some of the pastors and staff got together to pray with Pastor Steve for the new year, he really had on his heart that this would be a year marked by listening to the Word of God and then obeying and living out the Word of God. So as we were in that environment of prayer and looking towards this new year and what the Lord had, um, really they, they came to the conclusion, why don't we take 10 or 11 weeks, Pastor Nat would have to help me how many weeks exactly that it is, um, and what if we would walk through the book of James, and we'll get into that why, that would be such a pertinent book, and listen to the Word of God and live it out. So I am really, really excited. I'm going to read you a couple verses, and then we are going to jump in this morning to the series. In the book of James, chapter 1, Verse 1, if you have your Bible, you can go there with me, or we have the cheat screen behind me. Here's what it says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's called James. It's written by James. We'll get into a minute who he is. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion or to the church that's scattered abroad. Greetings. Now I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be, could you say this word with me? Be doers. Could you say Doers. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is the big idea. We're going to jump into this. James wants us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who, has, who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but here's this word again, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I'm going to pray for us this morning as we jump into God's word, and we're going to dive in. You guys ready? Father, we just thank you for this beautiful morning in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are meeting with your people. God, what an amazing time in worship, just singing of your holiness, that Jesus, you reign over the heavens and the earth, and we honor you this morning. We worship you this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, Father, hearts to receive, but then God, give us the strength to obey you this morning and all that you have for us. We love you, God. Speak to us through your word. Do a great work in every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Now, James was the little brother of Jesus. Any little brothers out there or little sisters, any younger siblings? And I find it interesting that Jesus' little brother, if you don't know who Jesus is, I'll introduce you to him in a second. Jesus' little brother wrote the most controversial book in the entire New Testament. Now, I'm a little brother. I love being a little brother. I probably embrace all the things that being a little brother means. But when you come to the book of James, and we're going to get into it, the book of James has caused a lot of people a lot of problems. And if you go, who is this guy, James? Like, I'm going to, I want to take him on. I don't like what he's teaching. He's probably going to say, well, I want to introduce you to my big brother. His name is Jesus. 
Um, but James makes people very uncomfortable. You know, Michael Jr. is a comedian. He talks about, can you imagine what it would be like to grow up as the little brother of Jesus? You know, I'm the youngest of, of four, um, and growing up, you know, there's like that expectation, like if your older siblings are doing good, you need to do good as well, or, you know, you at least have to be equally as good, if not better. But can you imagine how many times James heard, James, why can't you just be more like your big brother Jesus, right? It's like, well, that's not really fair. Like, he's God, and I'm just me, right? You know, little brothers usually typically like to follow in the footsteps of their older siblings. Um, but James' big brother walked on water. Um, and he could try it, but I don't think that was really going to work, right? Like, okay, i got to be as good as my big brother, and I can't always do the things that he does. You know, Jesus goes to weddings and he multiplies food. And James goes to weddings and he just eats the food and can't do anything, right? The next time he goes to the wedding, like, James, we saw what your big brother did. Can you do it? Like, oh, no, no, that's just kind of a him thing. I don't really do that kind of thing, Right? Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up being the little brother of Jesus? Now, to be clear, uh, I think many of us know this. Jesus was born of a virgin. He um, came from Mary, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So James was actually his half-brother because Mary then, after Jesus was born, would marry Jesus' stepfather, Joseph, and they would have more children. So if you thought that your family line was confusing, just ask Jesus about his. Um, it probably is more confusing and beats any of ours. But James really has caused some problems historically in the church. Martin Luther is a famous theologian. You've probably maybe heard of him. And here's what he had to say about the book of James. He said, St. James' epistle is really a right, strong epistle, which means there's, like, there's no meat to it, there's no content, there's nothing of eternal value that really should last. He said, compared to the others, Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and 1 Peter and 1 John, it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. So Martin Luther's an amazing man, an amazing theologian. You hear a... Um, a statement like that, you know, is why has James caused so many problems? Now, I have a picture up here for you if the media team was able to get it in time. Many people look at the book of James and the teaching of Paul like this. I think that guy's Rocky Balboa. I'm not sure who the other guy is. Somebody, I guess, could help me out. And we come to the Bible and people think, well, Paul teaches that we're saved by faith alone. Paul teaches that we're saved by grace alone. The Bible teaches that we just receive freely the grace of God. And do you know what? That is true. That is the beauty of the gospel. That while we were far away from God, when we were sinners, when we were lost, when we were so far from God, we weren't even looking for him. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. Amen? And when we came to the cross, there was nothing we could do to earn it. There was nothing we could do to deserve it. There was nothing like, well, Lord, let me prove to you why I deserve salvation. Salvation really is a free gift, right? That's what the Bible teaches. But then the book of James come along, and it kind of feels like what Rocky is doing to this guy. And James says, that's true. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They can get rid of that picture or else you're going to be distracted the whole service long. But here's what James teaches, and this is the big idea today, and we're going to get into it, really the big idea of this book. James says that the only kind of faith that works to save, so what Paul talked about, this faith in Christ that saves us, the only kind of faith that works to save is a faith that works through obedience. 
Now, James and Paul aren't fighting like these two guys on the screen. It can feel like that because you might read Romans or you might read Galatians. And Paul is, is really adamant that we receive salvation. We receive the free gift from Christ without doing anything to earn it. And that's true. But James come along, and he's not talking as much about salvation. He's talking about sanctification, how we grow up into the salvation in Christ. Uh, to put it in more practical terms, how we live out this faith. This matters because James teaches us what real Christianity looks like. You know, James, when, when we get into his book, oh, there's so much good stuff. But we got we got 11 weeks, we can't say it all. When you get into the book of James, it can almost feel like you're just getting blasted with a shotgun of Christian teaching. Because it's not necessarily one linear train of thought. He's not just teaching one singular truth. Um, he's teaching it all through the lens of if you have received salvation in Jesus, then this thing's got to be real. You've got to live this thing out, right? James didn't want us to be hypocrites or fakes or phonies. James doesn't want us to be something in church and something else outside these walls. James is saying if you've received salvation, then there is an actual practical living out of this faith. And faith without works is dead. So James says the only kind of faith that works to save us is a faith that works in obedience. Are you following me? Now, I've told you this story before, but I just felt like it was so fitting. You know, I remember when I was in junior high, I told you this story, and my big sister started going to the gym, we were getting healthy, and I thought, if I put on the gym clothes, if I actually get out of the house and I go to the gym, we'd go to the treadmill, and I would put it on a super high speed and straddle the treadmill, and it would just go, 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 go. And I thought, if I just rack up numbers on the treadmill, I'm getting healthy, right? And I'd slow it down and jog a little bit, and then like, I got, like it's about how many numbers are on the screen, right? And anybody of us, any of us, right, we'd look at that and say, it doesn't matter what the number says on the screen if you're not actually doing the stuff, right? Now, I love to run now. Any of you that know me, like it's my favorite thing to do pretty much. I love it. Running yesterday with a group of friends at like 4 a.m. up Table Rock. That was a crazy idea, but it was awesome because I like to run now. But I think James looks at us, and James comes, and he's so clear, and he's so adamant, saying, if you've received salvation, but you're just standing on the sidelines not doing anything, have you truly trusted in Jesus? Have you truly received the grace of the gospel that changes us, right? And I think, honestly, if you've ever come into contact with non-Christians, which you have because you live in this world, I think this is the thing that non-Christians want more than anything is that Christians would be real. You know, when we go out on the streets for evangelism, to share the gospel, to talk to people about Jesus, one of the number one objections to the faith I get personally is, well, I would believe in Jesus, but I met a really mean Christian. Or I would believe in Jesus, but I met a really hypocritical Christian. I might become a Christian because all that stuff in your book sounds really good, but all the Christians I know maybe don't live it out. Or it, it seems like it's just something they do for, you know, 75 minutes on a Sunday morning and, and that's it. And James says, you know what? That's wrong. That's not the way that it should be. You know, I tell people every time, I said, maybe what you've seen and you've encountered is hypocrisy, but that's not the real thing. I said, there is something real out there that maybe you haven't seen yet, that you have not encountered yet. And the real Jesus is not what you just described. The real Jesus, the real gospel, the real scriptures, the real church is not what you've described in this fake religion. 
You know, we almost called this series religion or real religion because James says, I want this to be real. I want this to be practical. I want you to live this stuff out in your life. Now, I've already established James um, is the one that wrote this book. We see that in the very first verse. He is the brother of Jesus Christ. There's some different scriptures that you can read. We'll probably get into this more um, at our deeper dive on Thursday mornings as we study the book of James at Forge Coffee. You're invited. Love to see you at 7 a.m. Um, but here's something fascinating to me. Is that James was the half-brother of Jesus, but James worshipped his older brother Jesus as God. Now, that should sound controversial to us, right? Like, even as I wrote those words, and I considered that, and I thought, James worshipped his older brother Jesus as God. Because all of us who at least have siblings, or if you don't have siblings, you probably have cousins, or you have aunts, or uncles, whatever. Like, none of us would ever worship our siblings, right? <laughs> Never, ever, ever, no, not ever. Like, probably besides maybe your spouse or your parents, like, you're not really closer to anybody else in the world than your siblings, probably. Or at least you probably haven't spent more time with anybody else than them. And you couldn't pay me a million dollars to worship my siblings, though I love them. And though they're wonderful, they're not God. And I could give you enough stories to prove it, right? <laughs> and James actually grew up not worshiping his older brother, Jesus. You know, for Jesus' life and ministry, James didn't believe. For Jesus' three years, as Jesus is healing the sick and he's raising the dead, as Jesus is performing signs and wonders and miracles, as he's teaching and preaching the gospel, James, his brother, did not believe that he was God. So that might not surprise us, right? It's kind of a, a tough pill to swallow that your older brother is actually God in the flesh, right? I think that would take all of us some time to, time to get our head around but when you come to the book of James, you got to feel the weight of these words. James makes some really radical statements about his older brother. He says this, I serve God, um, I'm a servant of God, and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you go to the original language, what James writes is it says, Hakurias Jesu Christu, which is the very, it means the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the very terminology the Old Testament would use to signify God as Yahweh. James is applying that to Jesus Christ, his brother. In the very first words of his Gospels, I'm a servant of God and of Jesus Christ, who is God. And it should strike us and think this man who was real, just like you and I, who wrote these very words we're reading, worshipped his older brother as God. When we come to chapter 2, verse one, 1, he says, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. In our Lord. That's God. Jesus Christ. And he says, the Lord of glory. What happened in James' life that took him from doubt in unbelief, to not believing that Jesus was, was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, to all of a sudden he can write these words that I worship Jesus Christ. I serve Jesus Christ. I will give my life to him as God. The scriptures tell us that after Jesus was raised from the dead, and his brothers still were in disbelief, they didn't believe in him, that Jesus appeared to his disciples, he appeared to those that had followed him, and then he went and appeared in his glorified, resurrected body, and demonstrated to his own brother, James, I'm raised from the dead, and I'm God. And something happened in this face-to-face -face encounter. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I have it somewhere. I have it right here. 
Um, Paul writes this story. Paul was also what he considered the least of the apostles. Paul didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't know Jesus in his earthly life. But Jesus Christ appeared to Paul after his resurrection. And Paul says, um, oh, I'm in the wrong spot. Where's my first Corinthians? There it is. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then as one untimely born, he appeared to me as well. So Paul's saying when Jesus appeared, he went personally to his brother James to show him that he was God and something got inside of James and he was changed. And we're going to come back to that, but I think that is pretty amazing that James worshipped his older brother Jesus. It's pretty cool. The book of James was written, one of the earliest books that we have in the whole entire New Testament, before anything that Paul um, probably wrote, or at least before James knew what Paul had written. Um, James wrote his book, this is for all of the, the, the nerds that like this kind of stuff, just about 15 years after the resurrection of Christ. So it hadn't really been that long after Christ was raised from the dead. They were busy getting the church started, and as they were teaching, James was writing this stuff down, and then he put it in a book and sent it out. Many important teachings of the church. Now here's some fun facts. You guys ready? James includes more imperatives, more commands per word than any other New Testament book. So you get to James, and over and over and over and over and over again, what I talked about at the beginning, he says, we have to live this stuff out, right? Here's what you have to do. Now, the Christian faith is about who we are in Christ. But James comes about sanctification, growing up into the salvation we have through Christ. And he has more commands than any other book in the New Testament per word. James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, he's really teaching us how to work this thing out in our day-to-day lives in wisdom. It's kind of in the style of Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs, it kind of feels a little bit random at times. It moves on from topic to topic to topic. And that's kind of what James does. But here's what I found the most amazing. This probably captivated me more studying for this sermon than anything else. Is that James is filled with allusions and quotations to the teaching of Jesus the book of James is the most Christ-like book in the whole New Testament. What we mean by that is when you study the book of James, it, it more closely resembles the thinking and the teaching of Jesus than any other book in the New Testament. So when we, when we create this idea like James is at war with the rest of the New Testament, what we're really saying is Jesus is at war with the rest of the New Testament. Because many times when you come to the book of James, it's, they really feel that it's, it's almost the overflow of working out the, um, the Sermon on the Mount in our normal life. It's, it's really this, this Jesus Christ-esque sermon about living out this faith here in the world. You know, there's something fascinating called agrapha, which are sayings of Jesus that weren't written in the New Testament but circulated around the New Testament church. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. And they, some scholars, as they study the book of James, um, certain phrases that he makes they think were actually teachings of Jesus that they had written down that, that hadn't, they hadn't attributed to Jesus yet. So one example of that in the New Testament is when Paul said, do you remember when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive? But that's never written in the Gospels anywhere. Um, and he says, but that's what he taught. Do you guys remember it? Because you all heard it. The book of James is filled with these, these references to Jesus' teaching, but possibly even teachings of Jesus that we didn't get in the Gospels, and James is bringing them to us, right? And I think, how cool is it that we get to sit with Jesus' little brother and learn about how to live out this Christian life? Now, here's my warnings for you, okay? You ready? Here's your warnings. Don't complain and tell me I didn't warn you before we jumped in this series. Number one, James will make you uncomfortable. So just get ready. 
You know, I'd encourage you to read through this book every single week. Last night, I was driving home from Portland and just listening to the book of James. I'm telling you something. I felt like the guy in that picture. When you read, when you read the book of James, when you study it, when you seek to live it out, it's just like, ah, ah, ah. He's going to make you uncomfortable. But here's a spoiler alert. So did Jesus. Jesus made everybody uncomfortable. Like Jesus was honestly always making people mad, not because he wasn't kind, not because he wasn't loving, but because everything he taught went against the grain of culture and against the grain of the world. And you're probably going to feel like sandpaper is being rubbed against you the wrong way when you read the book of James because he makes us uncomfortable. Number two, James is totally not politically correct. <laughs> so in our culture, there's a whole lot of things you can't say, especially in church. A whole lot of topics that you can't hit on. And can I tell you something? James doesn't care. <laughs> um, and so I warned you, bring your seatbelt to church and buckle up every week for the next 10 weeks. Because all the things that are like politically incorrect talk about church, James is going to say, I'm going to tell you how you can run your mouth and what you can say and what you can't say. And in our society, it's like, well, I can say whatever I want. I'm a free person. And James says, no, you aren't. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. <laughs> James says, I'm going to teach you how you use your money and how you, how you, what you do with it. And I go, well, it's my money. And he goes, no, it's not. It's the Lord's. <laughs> James says, I'm going to teach you how you treat other people, people who don't look like you, people who don't act like you, people who don't think like you. He doesn't just make us uncomfortable. He breaks all of our American politically correct rules. You can say, James, you can't say that, but it's in the Bible. He did say that. <laughs> and can I give you another spoiler? Jesus did the same thing all the time. <laughs> And last but not least, James loves the Old Testament. <laughs> when you read the book of James, it's just overflowing with Old Testament stories and allusions and examples. And in, our, in probably our modern church culture, we kind of have an aversion to that. It's like, oh, we left the Old Testament behind and now we're New Testament people. Let me warn you again, James loves the Old Testament. He thinks it's applicable to our lives. He teaches us that it matters for us. And you know what? His big brother Jesus did the same thing. <laughs> Jesus was always, always, always saying everything that was written before is important. It matters. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Amen? So you have been warned. Now take a big, deep breath because we're going to go through kind of the big idea what the book of James is all about. And this is where it gets really, really good. And I just hope this encourages you. Number one, the first thing, that the first big idea that James is all about is that God saved us through Christ because he loved us. Now, unless you misunderstand what I've said so far or what I've taught, James is absolutely filled with the gospel. The same gospel that Jesus believed and taught, the same gospel that Paul believed and taught, is the, the gospel that James teaches. Let me read you the scripture. I love this. In James 1.18, he says, Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does that mean? It means God loved us. God desired and desires us. And you know what James uses? The same language that Jesus uses. He brought us forth. He made us to be born again. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus taught about salvation, he almost always said we've been born again. James says, we've been born again because God loved us. 
Because God desired us. So don't misunderstand this. James is just starting a few steps ahead of where Paul started. He says, I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to those of you who have been born again. Have your sins been washed away by the blood of the Lamb? Yes, mine have too. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Yes. Have you been brought forth? And Are you in the family of God now? Do you have a Father in heaven who loves you wildly and radically? Yes. That's where James is starting from. So don't miss it. Every word we read of this book, we've got to remind ourselves he's talking to those of us who have been born again by a Father who loves us. This is good news. This isn't legalism. This isn't like heavy, harsh, negative Christianity. This is for those who've been born again. It's our instruction manual. He's teaching us how to live. So when you, re- when you read it, we remind ourselves, I don't do these things to be saved. I already am saved in Christ. I don't do these things to earn my Father's approval in heaven. I already have it. Right? And if you have never surrendered your life to God, if you've never been born again through Christ, then I have good news. That can happen today, right now. But for those of us that have, we read this book through that lens, I've been born again. Not because God had to, but it says because of his own will. And I was meditating on those words this week. God wanted to save us. God desired to save us. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins. To wash us, to cleanse us, and give us new life. And now James says, now that you've got this new life, let me teach you how to live. Number two. Here's where James might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. The same gospel that saved us also demands our obedience. The same gospel that saved us. It's not like there's like the nice, happy, free gospel, and then there's like the legalistic James gospel. No, they go right, there is no legalistic heavy gospel. That's just a false gospel. But James says the same gospel that saved you also demands your obedience. So James says you receive the word of God which is able to to save your souls. That's in verse 21. So we know, okay, I receive God's word, I receive salvation. That's really probably referring more than just the scriptures, it's referring to salvation. We receive salvation, but he says, but don't just be a hearer, you got to be a doer. You can't separate it, right? The gospel that saved me demands my obedience, right? And we're going to get into it in a minute. Jesus always taught that same thing, that the gospel of Jesus, here's the third thing. This is kind of a jump out of the book of James to Jesus for a minute. The gospel of Jesus is a gospel of obedience. Christ demands obedience to his word, being doers and not hearers only. Now I want to make that connection. Before we think, well, James is just off the rails crazy. He's not. And the worship team can come out. But when James says the gospel that saved you also has demands upon your life, right? He's not saying if you do these things, you'll be saved. He's not saying if you, if you act good enough, you'll be saved. He's just saying when you received that gospel, you didn't just receive Christ as Savior, you received him as Lord as well. And this was all throughout Jesus' teaching. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. You hear that? We receive Christ as Savior, but we respond with our obedience. So that same gospel that saves us, the same gospel that saved me as a sinner says, now, Johnny, that you've been saved, you got to obey. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? We don't just hear the words. We don't even just receive the words. We do the words. 
In Matthew chapter 12, 46, Jesus said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, whoever does, Jesus loves activity, obedience, doing. Whoever does the will of my, of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Luke 11, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or that word keep can also be those who obey it. Matthew 28, Jesus says, teach my new disciples to obey, to do everything I've commanded them. There's a few more scriptures, we'll get into them in a, in a few weeks. The same gospel that saves us demands our obedience. This is what Jesus taught, and this is what his little brother James taught. And here's where we get to the big idea from James. The only kind of faith that works to save us. And I hope something about this gets in our spirit today. Is that the kind of faith that saves us is a faith that works through obedience. Those of us who have received Christ Jesus as Savior now live under His Lordship in our obedience to Him, right? And James would say in chapter 2, if we claim to have faith, but we don't have good works, our faith is dead. And the point of that is not like this heavy yoke, this heavy burden. I think the point of that is that we examine our hearts and we say, Lord, if I've received salvation, if I've received this free gift, is it just lip service? Is it just I prayed a prayer one time in third grade? Or is it just I show up to church because somebody drags me there? Or have I truly received you and now it's manifesting itself through my obedience? I'm living this thing out. Lord, am I just standing on the spiritual treadmill and watching it go by? Or am I active in a faith that works? You know, James warns us and he wakes us up from the danger of spiritual deception. This is important. But I think if we're not careful, we can just go through the religious motions at church. We can come in, we can sing the songs, we can give in the offering, we can even go to connect group, we can serve on Dream Team, we can do all the stuff but if we're not careful, we might be missing the real, genuine faith that James is calling us to. He says, be doers of the word, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. What's deception? It says, I didn't know I was blind until somebody told me. I didn't know I was lost until somebody told me, right? Pastor Steve says, I never saw so clear as when I was deceived. And James grabs us by the shoulder and says, hey, you got to wake up a little bit. He goes, it's possible to have a faith that's dead. It's possible to have a faith that you claim faith in God. Even the demons claim that. But is it real? Is it genuine? Is it just in this room on Sunday morning or does it manifest itself outside these walls? But the scary reality that James, he wakes us up, and I use these words on purpose. He wakes us up from the danger of spiritual deception. But you know what? Jesus did the same thing. When Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, went in the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. We got to hear these words. They're a little heavy. They're intense, but they're from Jesus Christ. He said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. James is a gift from God to wake us up to what real Christianity looks like. 
to what real faith looks like. And if there's one cry of my heart in my life, I say, God, I just want to be a real Christian. I just want to love you heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's everything. Father, I just want to love my neighbor as myself. I don't care if I'm cool. I don't care if I'm flashy. I don't care if I'm popular. I just want the real thing at any cost, at any price, Lord. Whatever it costs me, whatever it looks like, whatever the sacrifice is, I want the real thing, not, not the fake thing. Not some spiritual veneer I can put on the outside to make everybody else think I'm doing good, but Jesus, I want the real thing. And James comes the bucket of ice cold water and he dumps it on our head and it wakes us up. And you go, oh my gosh, this mouth that has been blessing God has been hurting people. Forgive me, Father. Or Father, why have I been loving people who look like me or think like me and act like me and treating other people worse? Forgive me, Father. James comes to us and says, hey, your money, how you're using it, or your life. Hey, your pride, thinking that you're in control of your life, you're not, God is. And James wakes us up. And there's two ways to look at this. We could look at it negative, like, oh, I don't like that guy, James. He makes me uncomfortable. He gets in my business. Or we could look at this with joy, saying he's waking me up to spiritual realities. You know, I remember, I just wrote this in the notes. I remember when I'd come back from India a couple years ago and my left lung had just completely collapsed and it was crushing my heart. I didn't know it. I remember going to the hospital and it's a longer story but we're about out of time and I remember when these nurses, these doctors and nurses came out and they said, sir, your left lung's collapsed. It's crushing your heart and you're dying. And I remember I was like, that's not really what I expected to hear, you know. <laughs> but I remember I didn't, okay, it's not good news. <laughs> But I wouldn't like them to come and say, oh, sir, you're fine, just go out, live your life, have fun, go to Starbucks, get some In-N-Out Burger, right? They said, you won't make it 24 hours in the condition you're in. And like in 24 hours or less, you're going to be gone. If they didn't warn me, right? They said, sir, right now, we're taking you in the back room, we're cutting you open, we're putting tubes in your side because you got to live, buddy. Right? Like it woke me up to the spiritual reality that said something is seriously wrong with me and I got to change, Right? And James comes to us, and sometimes it's not always comfortable or easy, but I receive it with, we receive it with humility. And he comes and says, hey, there might be something out of sorts here. Hey, there might be an area of your life where it's not in submission to the Lord Jesus yet. And I think we should say, thank you, God, for waking me up. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that I can obey you, not so I can be saved, but because I am saved. Not so I can get your approval, but because I already have it. James teaches what the real thing looks like. Amen? So, how do we live this out? I love our Zoe interns every day, I think, say, how can we take what we've learned and put it into practice? Or our growth journals say on the bottom, how will I be different today because of what I read? Here's a couple applications for us. Number one, have I received salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ's finished work? That's step one. Have we received what Jesus has done for us? Here's number two, have I embraced the gospel's demands on my life for obedience? Some of us might say, you know what, I've been saved. Like I gave my life to Jesus, but I haven't been walking in obedience. You know what? God's mercies are new every single morning. Today's a good day to say, Jesus, I give you my life afresh. I surrender, I will obey you. I submit to your lordship. Here's a question to ask ourselves. Am I a hearer of the word only or am I a doer of the word? Am I just a hearer? Or am I a doer? And last but not least, do I have a living faith in Jesus 
that leads me to obedience and good works. Maybe you write those questions down. I think we'll post them on the Facebook so you can, you can think about them, pray about them, and apply them to your life. I'd encourage us this week that we make a commitment in our heart. And here's where we're going to end. Here's where we make a commitment in our heart. To be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. I think that's where the series starts. The next 10 weeks, what we're saying is, Lord, I'm not just going to listen to this word, but I'm going to do this word. I'm not just going to hear this word, but I'm going to obey this word. Now as we end, here's what I want you to hear. The book of James is a story of grace. The book of James is a story of God's grace. You know, you think about James. Can you imagine what it would have been like to not believe that your brother was the Messiah for three years? When he's crucified on the cross to abandon him, to not be there to support him? And after three and a half years of disbelief and turning your back on the Messiah, God appears to you personally to reveal his divinity. And Jesus Christ came to his brother. We don't know that conversation. I wish we did. But we don't have a rebuke. We don't have, you idiot. Jesus saved his little brother. He shed his blood for him on the cross, even when he was doubting and unbelieving. He paid for his sins, and he rose, and he went right to James. And it was significant enough that Paul said he, he didn't just come to all the apostles. He went right to James, and he appeared to him. And the story of James is the story of God's grace in his life. That this doubtful, unbelieving man received the grace of his big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you walked in this place this morning, even if this teaching, if you feel like I'm messing up, I'm failing in more ways than I could ever tell you, Johnny. You're in good company with James, and you're in good company with all of us. The Apostle Paul, God-hater, persecutor of the church, murderer, and Jesus appeared to him. It's a story of grace. Think about Matthew the Apostle, tax collector, sinner, Jesus, appeared to him, story of grace. Think about um, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, denied him three times, sinner, really bad guy, messed up, blew it all. Jesus appeared to him, restored him. Like every one of us who seek to obey Jesus, all we are are just stories of his grace. In the book of James, every word that you read, it's just a story of grace. Because even though he's intense, and even though he's all about obedience, we remember this is a man who is saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, and I and you can and are too. And here's how James ends this book in chapter 5. He ends it just like this. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If you'd close your eyes. I just want to pray for us. Even as we're challenged to obey, we remember that the Christian life is just a story of grace. Jesus' grace in our lives. None of us have earned his love. None of us could ever deserve it. But even in our sin and our weakness, he died for us. And he shows us grace on grace on grace. And James ends this book by saying, if any of you have wandered, if any of you walked away, you've stepped away, or maybe you've never known Jesus, it's a good day to receive his love. It's a good day to receive his mercy and come back to your father. You know, every week we celebrate with people as they turn to Jesus. If you're in this place right now, say, Pastor Johnny, today's my day. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I need him to save me from my sins. Or maybe you say, I'm like that one James talked about. I've wandered away from the truth and it's my day to come home. Would you just with every eye closed, lift your hand and we're going to pray for you. 
I just believe that today's a good day, I know it is, for people to come home to their Father in heaven. If that's you, if you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, I want to return to God, I need Him to save me, would you just lift your hand right now in this moment? We're going to pray with you. Awesome. We're just going to pray this prayer all together. Can we just say, dear Jesus, thank you that you died so I could live. Thank you that you shed your blood on that cross to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. I receive your new life. I will follow you as Lord. I thank you that you are alive. Save me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. I was going to pray for you that we would just be not just hearers of the word as Pastor Not comes up, but doers. Father, I pray for every one of us that God, we would receive your word like James said humbly. That God, we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of your word. Help us, Lord, over these next eight or ten weeks to receive your word and to live it out. God, and you said that those who obey will be blessed in their doing. So, Lord, we believe we're going to receive a great blessing as we obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, can we